0: Michael took his time getting out, sliding the key out of the ignition just as the halftime commentary started on the radio. Fucking mess, Greer told Michael. Some kind of sick perv got a hold of her. Michael had heard as much when he'd gotten the call that pulled him off his living room couch. Where is she? Six flights up. Greer folded the handkerchief into a neat square and tucked it into his pocket, We traced the 911 call to that phone. He pointed across the street to a phone booth. Woman's voice. We'll have the tape sometime tomorrow. How long did it take to get somebody out here? Thirty-two minutes, Greer told him, and Michael's only surprise was that it hadn't taken longer. Greer turned back to the building as if it could absolve him. We're going to have to call in some help on this one. Michael bristled at the suggestion. That's all I need is more assholes telling me how to do my job. This asshole thinks it's exactly what you need, the lieutenant countered. Girl didn't have a chance. Beat, cut, fuck six ways to Sunday. We got a real sick fuck on our hands. Michael put on his jacket, thinking Greer sounded like he was auditioning for HBO. Ken's out of the hospital said come by and see him any time. Greer made some noises about being real busy lately, before trotting off toward his car, looking back over his shoulder as if he was afraid Michael would follow. Michael waited until his boss was in his car and pulling out of the lot before he headed toward the building. Michael braced himself as he opened the door, letting the damp, dark building slowly draw him in. Whoever had designed the homes hadn't been thinking about happy kids coming home from school to warm cookies and milk. They had focused on security, keeping open spaces to a minimum and covering all the light fixtures in steel mesh to protect the bulbs. The walls were exposed concrete, with narrow windows tucked into tight little corners, the safety wire embedded in the glass looking like uniform cobwebs. As Michael started up the stairs, he felt a change in the air. The smell hit him first, The usual odor of fried foods mingled with beer and sweat, cut by the sudden but unmistakable stench of violent death. Downstairs, a door slammed open, and Michael leaned over the railing, watching two women wrangle a gurney inside the foyer. They were wearing dark blue rain jackets, bright yellow letters announcing MORGUE on their backs. Michael called. Up here. How far up? One of them asked. Sixth floor. Mother fuck, she cursed. Michael grabbed the handrail and pulled himself up the next few stairs, hearing the two women offer up more expletives as they started the climb, the gurney banging against the metal railings like a broken bell. He was one flight away from the top when he felt the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. Sweat had glued his shirt to his back, but some sort of sixth sense sent a chill through him, A flash popped, and a camera whirred. Michael stepped carefully around a red stiletto shoe that was flat on the stair, looking as if someone had sat down and slipped it off. The next step up had the perfect outline of a bloody hand gripping the tread. The next stair had another handprint, then another, as someone had crawled up the stairs. Standing on the landing at the top of the fifth flight was Bill Burgess, a seasoned beat cop, who had seen just about every kind of crime Atlanta had to offer. Beside him was a dark pool of coagulating blood, the edges spreading in rivulets that dropped from one step to the next like falling dominoes. Michael read the scene. Someone had stumbled here, struggled to get up, smearing blood as she tried to escape. Bill was looking down the stairs, away from the blood. His skin was blanched, his lips a thin slash of pink. The two men did not speak as Michael carefully stepped over the puddle of blood. He kept his hand on the rail, making the turn to the next flight of stairs, thankful for something to hold on to when he saw the scene in front of him. The woman was partially clothed, her tight red dress cut open like a robe, showing dark cocoa skin and a wisp of black pubic hair that had been shaved into a thin line leading down to her cleft. Her breasts were unnaturally high on her chest, implants holding them up in perfection. One arm was out to her side. The other rested above her head, fingers reaching toward the handrail as if her last thoughts had been to pull herself up. Her right leg was bent at the knee, splayed open, the left jutting at an angle so that he could see straight up her slit. Her body was nice, or nicer than you'd expect from what the needle marks on her arms indicated she was. A woman with a habit she fed between her legs. Her eyes were wide open, staring blankly at the wall. One of her fake eyelashes had come loose, making a third lash under her left eye. Her nose was broken. Her cheeks shifted off-center where the bones beneath the eye had been shattered. Light reflected against something in her open mouth, and Michael took another step closer, seeing that it was filled to the top with liquid and that the liquid was blood the light overhead glinted off the red pool like a harvest moon. Pete Hansen, the medical examiner on call, stood at the top of the stairs talking to Leo Donnelly. Leo was an asshole, always playing the tough cop, joking about everything, laughing too loud and long, but Michael had seen him at the bar one too many times, his hand a constant blur as he slammed back one scotch after another, trying to get the taste of death out of his mouth. Leo spotted Michael and cracked a smile, like they were old pals getting together for a good time. He was holding a sealed plastic evidence bag in his hand, and he kept tossing it a couple of inches in the air and catching it like he was getting ready to play ball. Leo said, Hell of a night to be on call. Michael didn't voice his agreement. What happened? Leo kept tossing the bag, weighing it in his hand. Doc says she bled to death. Maybe. Pete corrected. Michael knew the doctor liked Leo about as much as everyone else on the force, which was to say he couldn't stand the bastard. I'll know more when I get her on the table. Catch, Leo said, tossing the evidence bag down to Michael. Michael saw it in slow motion, the bag sailing through the air, end over end, like a lopsided football. He caught it before it hit the ground, his fingers wrapping around something thick and obviously wet. Leo said, "'Something for your cat.' "'What the?' Michael stopped. He knew what it was. "'Look at his face!' Leo's shotgun laugh echoed off the walls. Michael could only stare at the bag. He felt blood at the back of his throat, tasted that metallic sting of unexpected fear. The voice that came out of his mouth did not sound like his own. It was more like he was underwater, maybe drowning. "'What happened?' Leo was still laughing. So Pete answered. He bit off her tongue. February 6, 2006 When he had returned from the Gulf War, Michael had been haunted by his dreams. As soon as he closed his eyes, he saw the bullets coming at him. The bombs blowing off arms and legs, children running down the road, screaming for their mamas. Michael knew where their mothers were. He had stood by helplessly, as the women banged the closed windows of the schoolhouse, trying to break their way out as fire from an exploded grenade burned them alive. Alicia Monroe was haunting him now. The tongueless woman in the stairway had followed him home, worked some kind of magic in his dreams so that it was Michael chasing her up the stairs, Michael forcing her back onto the landing and splitting her in two. He could feel her long red nails sinking into his skin as she tried to fight him off, choking him. He couldn't breathe. He started clawing at his neck, her hands, trying to get her to stop. He woke up screaming so loud that Gina sat up in bed beside him, clutching the sheet to her chest like she expected to see a maniac in their bedroom. Jesus, Michael, she hissed, hand over her heart. You scared the shit out of me. He reached for the glass of water by the bed, sloshing some on his chest as he took large gulps to quench the fire in his throat. Babe, Gina said, touching the tips of her fingers to his neck. What happened? Michael felt a sting on his neck and put his fingers where hers had been. There was a rent in the skin, and when he got up to look in the mirror over the dresser, he saw a thin trickle of blood dripping from the fresh cut. She stood beside him. Did you scratch yourself in your sleep? I don't know. He knew, though. He still hadn't caught his breath from the dream. Gina wrinkled her nose as she pulled his hand to her mouth. For a second, he thought she was going to kiss